Well, hello. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. So good to uh, good to be with you. We all got on the mics here. Yeah, I got a I got a thumbs up. That's good. I'm going to go with that. <clears throat> so, new year, new opportunities, uh, and new book. So we are starting the year now across both sites, um, working our way steadily through the gospel according to Mark. So we're into the Gospels. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the opportunity it affords. I'm going to just, you know, as we talk a bit, I'm going to tell you a little bit about why I'm excited about studying the book of Mark. Um, we're going to just uh, give you a little bit of background. So I'm going to start off by just saying a little bit about who Mark is and then talk a little bit about his Gospel. And then we're actually going to get into it and we're going to look at the first 20 verses today. So Mark, I want you to uh, get a, a feel for who this chap is, um, who, who he is, why he's written this gospel and how it's come about. He's not directly identified in this book. He doesn't directly say he's writing it. Um, but really all of the traditions back as far as you can go have Mark as the author. It's only you know, it's only in this century, really, that people start saying, oh, maybe it's not Mark, maybe it's not Mark. So I'm going to go with it being Mark. Um, Mark is uh, uh, mentioned quite a bit in Scripture. So we, we read about Mark himself in the book of Acts, um, and he's also mentioned in three of Paul's letters and also in Peter's letter. Um, and it may just be that he writes himself into his gospel. We'll have a quick look at that in a minute. Um, but he's a, a Jew. Are we all right here, guys, all this wailing? Shall I step forward or...? No? Right, you all sorted it all out. Okay. So he's a Jew um, of a certain Mary in Jerusalem. We read that. Thanks, mate. Is that better, is it? Don't need that. Don't need that. <laughs> right. So, John, so Mark is a, is a, a Jew, um, the son of a certain Mary in Jerusalem. He is cousin to Barnabas, um, who uh, comes from Cyprus. So he's got connections in both Jerusalem and in Cyprus. Um, along with Barnabas, Mark travelled with Paul, the Apostle Paul, on his first missionary journey. Uh, when he's sent out from the church of Antioch. And the first place they go to, in fact, is Cyprus. And then when they're going to go on into what is now modern-day Turkey, at that point, Mark leaves them and returns back to Jerusalem. And as a consequence of that, when Paul is planning uh, his second miss missionary journey, there's a bit of a disagreement between uh, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wants to take Mark with him again, and Paul says no, because he deserted us the first time. And so Paul and Barnabas actually separate. And the narrative in uh, Acts follows Paul um, with Silas, and they head off on their missionary journey. But we do see that Barnabas and Mark also head off on their missionary journey, and they head back to um, Cyprus, where, um, where some of the first churches were planted. 
And later on, we get to understand that Mark is traveling around the different churches. And Paul, when he, when he writes to um, the other churches, he says to them, if Mark comes to you, then welcome him. And, you know, he approves of what Mark is doing as he's traveling around. And I'd like to speculate, really, that that's the point where Mark is beginning to put his gospel together. He's traveling around. He's, um, he's reciting um, some of the stories that he's beginning to pick up and spreading them around. And he's beginning to put his gospel together. Um, I did say to you that there is a one... Um, point in Mark's gospel which might be Mark. There is this, um, there's this little account, I'll read it to you, at, um, at the point where Jesus is arrested. Uh, Mark's account in Mark chapter 14. So Jesus is arrested and it says, and they, and they talking about the disciples, they all left him at that point. So Jesus is arrested, all the disciples fled And then we've got this little detail. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him, and he pulled free from the linen sheet and escaped naked. There's this only mentioned in Mark, and I I would like to think most people comment that maybe that is Mark himself. That is a detail that he's included. Mark himself, an eyewitness of the... uh, arrest of Jesus and um, there he is as a young man and he, you know, he, he flees into the night um, when uh, Peter mentions Mark in his letter in 1 Peter um, Peter refers to Mark as his son now um, that might mean now he's not physically his son it might mean that he's his son in terms of you know, Peter is responsible for bringing Mark to the Lord, so he might be his son that way. Um, but whatever way you look at it, it's a term of endearment, and a lot of people will say that, um, in many ways, Mark is the voice of Peter, Simon Peter. So that, um, in, in in one way, the Gospel of Mark is Peter's Gospel, and certainly when you read through. Peter does get, um, you know, quite a high. In fact, we'll, we'll read this passage now. Peter's the first one that's mentioned. So he does, you know, we do get an account of what Peter's doing. And let, let's just say that um, I think probably Peter certainly has influenced Mark in terms of the, the writing of his gospel. This gospel is the first one to be written. So this gospel is out and in circulation round about 64 AD. That is before or just at the point, really, where both Paul and Peter are martyred in Rome. The gospel is written by Mark from Rome and is rapidly, um, rapidly disseminated, really, throughout the Roman Empire. Um, so he's writing there from the capital of the Roman Empire. All roads lead to Rome and from Rome, so it's easy for that gospel to be spread. And it does have the feel, really, of something that's put together from um, oral traditions. So a lot of people are telling one another the stories of Jesus, his miracles, his parables. Um, Everybody's got a bit to tell. And Mark is the first one 
who travels around and actually listens to those stories and commits them to paper and writes them. So some people say, perhaps a bit unfairly, Mark's gospel is very rough and ready and you know, it doesn't have a lot of um, literary um, um, you know, going for it. Um, but you know, I think we've got to say, this guy's the first. Once he's done that, it's easy for other people like Matthew and Luke to come along and say, oh, there's, you've missed a bit here, or that's not in the right order, or they'll elaborate on those stories. Um, but Mark really is the first one to do it, so I want to kind of give him the credit for that. And, um, and, it, and when, we, when we read um, the first sort of 10 chapters or so, really, the first nine chapters is all about action in Galilee, so there's quite a big emphasis on Jesus's uh, ministry in Galilee. Chapter 10 is Jesus in Judea, and then from 11 through to 16, we've got Jesus in Jerusalem, the lead up to, and then the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. And there is a difference in the feel, really. When, you, when you're looking at um, you know, chapters 9 and 10, it does feel like an assembly of different stories. When you get into chapter 11 through to 16, there is more of an eyewitness account to it and so again that puts um that puts mark there you know fleeing naked when jesus is arrested um, as an eyewitness um i think that's about it just to say that about uh, there's only only about seven percent of the gospel of mark is unique to mark so nearly all of it has been used to write uh, both Matthew and Luke's gospel later. Um, and then they, of course, add all their stuff. And then John's, John's gospel is very different, written a lot, a lot, lot later. Now, here's my heart for us, really, as we look at this gospel. My heart, my prayer for us all here, you know, in Wimborne as well, is that we see the Lord Jesus. I want your eyes to be opened and I want you to see our Lord Jesus in a fresh light. I want you to see him, this magnificent um, son of God. I want you to see him healing and teaching. I want you to see him setting people free. This is real stuff, real people like you and I, you know, in real world situations. He's setting them free. He's calling people to follow him. I want you to see him as the son, as the Christ, the one sent from heaven, anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, going about doing good, healing all that are oppressed of the devil because God is with him. There are so many miracles. The accounts that Mark gives here, Jesus heals in so many different ways. He heals with a word to someone individually. He heals with a command for someone who's sick at a distance, and he declares them healed. He lays hands on people. He uses clay to heal them. He uses oil. He anoints with oil, and they're healed. People touch his clothes. Not just, you know, there's that account of the woman with the hemorrhage, but in Mark's gospel, 
that's happening all the time. People are reaching out and touching his clothes and being healed all the time. He heals hemorrhage, we've just heard, leprosy, fever, epilepsy, even raising the dead. And I just want you to really not just you know, hear those things as stories, but in your imagination, see your Lord Jesus doing these marvellous things, loving people marvellously, revealing the love of the Father in everything that he says and in everything that he does. And, you know, my prayer for us is that we would all really fall more deeply in love with him. We would see him and we would love him. We would wonder at him like the disciples do and, you know, we would, we would love him. We would love him. So, Let's get to verse 1 then. Otherwise, we're never going to get started, are we? Verse 1. So you may have different uh, versions here, but, but pretty much this is what it's going to say. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, I would suggest to you that really that is his title. <laughs> Our title is the Gospel of Mark, but Mark's title is the Gospel of the Lord Jesus. The, that word there, gospel, evangelion, evangelion. It's a great, it's a great word, evangelion, <coughs> Greek. It means good news or good message. And the old, old English version is gospel. So that is actually a bit of, you're going right back to Anglo-Saxon there. The word spell means a tale a story, a message, and it's a contraction from good spell. It's a good message. It's the good message. It's the good message, the good news, or if you want it in Old English, gospel. It's all the same word, and it's the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, now I'm sure you realize that Jesus is not the son of Mary and Joseph Christ. That wasn't his surname, all right? Christ is the title. It's the Greek version of Messiah. So it's the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the sent one, the one sent from heaven. And who is it who's sent from heaven? The son of God, the second person of the trinity something really big has changed because now the son of god is on the scene and i want you to notice as well that he says it's the beginning of it it's the beginning of it later on it does not end at chapter 16 this is what mark is writing is the beginning of the good news and what we're going to be looking at is where the good news began but i want to tell you the good news continues the good news is still being told and now it's our good news we're the ones that have received it if you're a christian you've received and responded to that good news and now that good news is yours to tell on that message is yours to speak on so this is the beginning but it's still very much current, live, and full of action. Right, let's read on a few more verses here. 
As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I. I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then continuing, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. So we have really the briefest of accounts of John the Baptist coming to prepare the way. And we've got the briefest of accounts of Jesus' baptism. Really the essential information only, just two verses. And Mark is very much like this. Um, There's no real discussion, there's no real amplification. He just tells you what happens. And we've got the same here again in terms of the temptation of Jesus. Immediately, the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts and angels ministering to him. That's it. That's it. We're not going to have any discussion about what those temptations were, how Jesus responded. The fact is, he was compelled into the wilderness by the Spirit. He was tempted by the devil. That's that. Now then, we then get to this account here of Jesus calling his disciples. And I want you to really use your imaginations about this. So here we are on the Sea of Galilee, Um, you know, blistering hot day. You've got two groups of uh, fishermen that uh, have got their... um, you know, they're, they're, they're repairing their nets, um, you know, and Jesus is walking along the seashore. So, um, Jesus came into Galilee, verse 14, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, which of course is Peter, right? He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. So, if you've got a red letter version of the Bible, these are the first red letters here, the words of Christ in red. 
these are the, this is the first thing he says in Mark's gospel. Um, and he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. It's a new season. It's a long-awaited opportunity that has now arrived. That is his announcement. The time has come. Everything is filled up and ready. That's what it means when it says the time is fulfilled. There's that sense of, you know, we've, we've, that's it. We're ready. We've come right to the top, right to the rim point. That is it. Everything is ready. Everything is prepared. The uh, kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has arrived. It's here. Now things are different. Now things are changing. Now this is a new season. So that's the first thing he says. Announces the changes. And then there's just this very, I mean in Greek this is just three words. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. That is Jesus's imperative. There's a, there's, a, there's a command in that. There's an imperative. There's an instruction there to obey. And there's also an appeal, isn't there? There's an appeal. Won't you repent? Won't you believe the gospel? Please repent, believe the gospel. What does that mean? Repent. Rethink, reconsider, think again. This is our message to the unbelievers around us. Think again. People say to you, oh, I don't know any of that religious nonsense. You want to say, stop, think again. Why have you come to that conclusion? Let's think it through. Rethink and believe. And people are so ready to believe such piffler nonsense these days, aren't they? I mean, you know, and to repeat it and, us, and say, oh, yeah, this is what I believe in. You think, oh, my giddy on. I mean, you know, in the funeral business, I'll tell you, the stuff I hear about what people think, very ready to believe lies as well. Very ready to believe lies. Quite happy to be lied to. And what we want to do is we want to say, believe the truth. We want you to believe light. We want you to believe life-giving truth here, life-giving power. We want you to believe a message from a God who is truth through and through and through. There's no shadow, there's no wavering, there's no oh, maybe a little bit perhaps. There's no exaggeration. There's no angle from him. He's not trying to you know, get something past you. He's trying to save you. This is the truth. Please believe the truth. And if you can't, Jesus says, doesn't he? If you can't believe it because I'm saying it, believe it because of the signs. Believe it because of the miracles. Repent and believe good news. That's what we're asking. That's what our appeal is. Think again. Believe the truth. Believe the evangelion. Think about the Jelly on, all right? Think about jelly, all right? It's good stuff. This is Ivan with jelly on, all right? Believe the good news. Now then, there is a spirit of truth that works with us, that worked with Jesus as he's preaching these 
messages, that spirit of truth that convicts people of the truth and convicts people of their unbelief. Jesus says, when the spirit comes, he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment of sin because they did not believe. That's the sin that the spirit of truth convicts of. You haven't believed. You haven't believed the truth. You haven't believed the one who is true. Okay. So let's have a look how people responded. So I I wanted to just sort of emphasize the simplicity and the power of that message. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. How do the disciples respond? We've got another version here, very simple. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. That's what we are, you know. As Christians, we're followers. It's it's simple, isn't it? But it's also completely all-encompassing. You know, it's simple, but it's all-reaching, isn't it? Just follow the Lord Jesus. That's what we are. That's what he calls us to do. Follow me. Follow me. So we follow him wherever he goes. So how do the disciples respond? Well, verse 18 and verse 21. They left and they followed. They left their nets and they followed him. And that's, there's, a, there's an immediacy about that. There's a, there's a, there's a, um, a compulsion in that response There's a commitment in that response. They left their nets immediately and followed him. Now, nets, obviously, that's their business. They're fishermen, so they leave their business. But, you know, it's not difficult to see a metaphor in that as well, is it? They leave the stuff that entangles them and catches them up, and they follow him. And that's our appeal, isn't it? That's our appeal. If you're going to repent and believe, then there's stuff to leave behind. For James and John, they had to leave their father, didn't they? They left Zebedee, their father, and they left the hired hands, and they left the boat, and they followed him. So sometimes there might be property, possessions that we need to leave behind, relationships that may need to change, may need to end. You need to be able to lay those things down. Leave people behind sometimes and press on for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of following the Lord Jesus. Remember when we were, sorry, going to hark back now to um, Hebrews, but remember when we were looking at Abraham, how Abraham um, left Ur of the Chaldees and he followed the leading of God and it says he didn't know where he was going. He followed just on the basis of the promise, didn't he? He was promised the land and he left what he had and all of his household and everything behind. There's a few that traveled with him. And he went and followed, not knowing where he was going, but just on the basis of the promise. That's for us, you know. That's just Christianity every day. We're following. We're not knowing where we're going to go. There aren't any guarantees. Have you discovered that? There aren't any guarantees. You don't know what's going to happen. All you know is who you're following. You don't know where you're going, but you know who you're going with. You know who's calling you. We're the same. Christianity's like that. Now, I want to conclude. So we started off by saying, this is the beginning of the gospel. Jesus arrives and says, 
The time is at hand. A season of opportunity is here. I want to tell you that season of opportunity is still open. It opened with the Lord Jesus coming the first time. It will close when he returns the second time. He's come as saviour, but he will return as judge. Mark himself says, gives an account of Jesus. Jesus, when he's talking about the end of the world, he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. So this gospel is currently being preached to the ends of the earth, right? But there will come a point, there will come a time where that's it. The opportunity ends and Jesus returns. But whilst we are in that period of opportunity, it rests upon us and upon all of Christendom, it rests upon you individually, it's with the church. We need to be getting that message out. We need to be repeating that message. We need to be telling people, just as Mark was so excited to get this message down in writing and to start distributing it and to travel around the churches and tell these great stories. You know, that, I want that excitement to be with us as well. I want to read these things and think we want to tell, we want to bring people to know this wonderful Lord Jesus. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth who testifies in people's hearts about the truth and who confirms the word preached with signs and wonders that follow. So we are not on our own in this. The spirit of truth is with us. And what is our message? Notice our message is not join the church, okay? We're not, we're not proclaiming, um, you know, the benefits of New Life Community Church, okay? We're not trying to say to people, we're part of this great group that you really ought to join, okay? That's not what we're doing. We're, we are declaring a message and we're saying repent and believe and when people repent and when they believe the good news then the Lord Jesus adds them to his church but we're not calling people to join the church we're not proclaiming a gospel of self-improvement we're not saying oh, do you know it'd be good for you if you became a Christian there's all sorts of help available it would really you know boost your self-esteem and you know, your morale and, you know, it's a really, they're really lovely people. You know, we are, we are really lovely people. We are, and all of that is true. But that's not the gospel. We don't want people to be responding to that. It's not a gospel of, you know, self-help. It's a challenge. It's repent. Think again. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. It's about responding to the love of the Father that is revealed in the Son. And as we go through the whole gospel here, we see revealed in the Son dying for you on the cross. Leave and follow. Leave your life of self-centeredness, of worldliness. Flee from this wicked and perverse generation. That's what they say in Acts. Flee from this wicked and perverse generation and cling to the Lord Jesus and follow him. It's about reorientating your life reorientating your priorities, reorientating your purpose. I would say find your true purpose and go on and follow the Lord Jesus. So that's where we're at. The action starts in the very next verse <laughs> and continues again and again and again. Miracles and 
parables and um, teachings again and again and again. There's a lot of power, a lot of action. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting into that. Right, I'm going to pray, and then um, perhaps if I get the worship group back up again. And then while we're worshipping, we're also going to take uh, the opportunity for some bread and wine as well, the beginning, uh, first Sunday really in the new year, So, um, and I'll lead us through that. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the Evangelion. Thank you for the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Lord, we pray that that good news would burn more fervently in our hearts, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would be bold, Lord, and call people to repent and believe in that good news, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for in this year, Lord, in this season, Lord, thank you that this is still the year of the Lord's favour, Lord. And we pray, Lord, um, that uh, many will be saved, Lord, amongst us, Lord. We do pray, Lord, that that gospel would be reaping, Lord, great fruit, Lord, great harvest, Lord, in, in our area, Lord, where, where we are, Lord, here in Foringbridge and Downton and, and Wimborne, Lord, and Verwood as well, Lord. We, we, just, we just call out to you and say, Lord, may this be a year of great harvest, Lord, as that gospel is proclaimed and preached amongst us, Lord. We thank you that you are with us. We pray, Lord, as we study this word, Lord, that you would open our eyes afresh, Lord, that we might see, see you, Lord, in a fresh light, Lord, that we might see you and know you and love you, Lord, love you even more, Lord. Call us, Lord, into a deeper relationship with you. Call us, Lord, into a walk of wonder, Lord, and praise, Lord, and adoration, Lord into a walk, Lord, where we just continue to yield ourselves before you, Lord, and, and uh, surrender our lives to you, Lord, and, and be um, so pleased and thrilled and enthusiastic to be followers, Lord. Thank you for that call, Lord, in our hearts, Lord. Call us afresh, Lord, I pray, Lord, even as we worship now, Lord, to follow you, Lord, and help us just to make those commitments and leave those nets behind, Lord. We pray, Lord, that where there are things that entangle us and things that hold us back, Lord, you know, you would reveal those to us and we can just shed those things, Lord, and just be free of those things, Lord, and follow you with a whole heart and a full heart. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand then. Let's worship together.